Hello and welcome to series two, episode 13 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello, how are you doing? I hope that whenever you're listening to this, you're having a good day, whether you are still in lockdown, like me right now, or whether it's at some point in the future where you can go out for dinner with your friends and you can go to the theatre and you can go and sit in people's houses and cuddle people. If you're listening to it, then know that I'm very jealous of you. And I'm looking forward to that point in hopefully the not too distant future. It's Sunday morning. It's 20 to 10. I'm in my little box office room thing. My big cupboard office, I think is what I like to call it. My big cupboard office. And um, I've already been for a walk, which felt very nice to get up at eight o'clock and go out for a walk. It was really raining, but I really like walking in the rain. I listened to this week's episode of the podcast and I think it's a really special episode. It's with my dear, dear friend, Jessica Foster-Q. And I think it's really great. It's quite interesting as well. It's the first time that I've done a podcast where I've been interviewing someone when I was sort of there during in their coming out process. Jess came out a little bit later. Uh, well, I say a little bit later, in her 30s. Is that later? Who knows? It was the right time for her. But we talk all about that. I think it's a really great episode. I'm very proud of it. And I really hope you will enjoy it. Um, before we get to that, Thank you to everyone that's got in touch after last week's episode. All of the messages, uh, brilliant episode with Amro Arcadi. If you haven't listened to it, go back and have a listen after this one. It's really great. Uh, We've got lots of messages and emails and tweets and Instagrams and lots of reviews, uh, which is really helpful. If you are the kind of person that likes doing reviews, please, I would love it if you could do one for our podcast. It really helps our podcast uh, get seen by more people than it can get up. The, the different charts and then we might get some sponsorship which would be amazing so um if you like doing that sort of thing please do uh, i'd really appreciate it as ever we always have listen stories to start the show and i've got two absolute crackers for you today so let's start there hi Susie. firstly i'd like to start by saying how much your podcast has come to mean to me over the past few months the stories should be heard by all regardless of sexuality or gender as I truly believe everyone still has so much to learn and understand, myself included. My name is Paula and my wife and I have been married for 15 years. We have two adopted children after numerous fertility treatments and I'm openly relieved that I didn't have to go through childbirth. The ready-baked option was perfect for us. Since coming out to my parents in 2004, much has happened. I was in a relationship with my first, now ex, girlfriend. We bought two houses together and I was sure they'd figured it all out. They hadn't. They were shocked, but so incredibly supportive, saying that they'd always love me no matter what, and that they just wanted me to be happy. My girlfriend's parents were told on a very drunken family weekend away. They were initially fine. I promised I'd never hurt their daughter, but that was a promise I was about to break. Unfortunately, a few weeks later, we went for dinner with them, where they told us they weren't going to tell any of their friends and that we should keep it quiet and that wouldn't it affect our jobs as we were both teachers. That hurt me more than anything. I loved my job. I loved their daughter and I loved them. Initially supportive, but when they had the time to think about it, they were embarrassed and I felt shunned. I'd been part of the family for years, even lived with them for a while, and I truly believe they still looked at us the same. I was ashamed for loving their daughter. We didn't stay together for too much longer. I should add this wasn't their fault. But things changed between us. So after being together for seven years, many of which were happy, my eye was taken by another. She was openly gay, which was part of the initial attraction, and the total opposite of me. I looked straight and she had short hair with red and blonde highlights, wore ripped jeans and Timberlands. The gaydar didn't need much help. 
We had a short affair before deciding this was it and we should tell our respective partners. Too late, we were caught out first. I have many regrets about the pain I caused and will forever be sorry for that. But the outcome has been a happy one for us all in the end. Our exes married each other too. I mean, the lesbian world is very small. It's very small. I know other people that have done that as well. Uh, Back to the email. We got married in Brighton in 2005 on Pride Day. We shared the most perfect day with 35 of our nearest and dearest and everyone was so happy for us. After our honeymoon, my parents put on a wedding party at their home for family and friends that couldn't get to the actual ceremony. This solidified the idea that they were really happy for us and they wanted everyone to share this moment. Our two amazing children and a cockapoo called Dillus completes our family. I do, however, have a frustration inside of me. I'm a deputy head teacher of a successful primary school and my partner comes up in conversation with parents or colleagues outside of school, I usually say my wife, so that I'm clear about to whom I'm married. People assume I'm straight and I've been asked what my husband does on countless occasions. The problem lies with the children I teach. A boy in my class asked if we could celebrate LGBT History Month last February. I was told that I couldn't. It's not on the curriculum and a few people might not like it. Hmm, I thought as much. The older, now openly not straight sister of that boy, whom I'd previously taught, is now a teenager and she feels let down by the primary education as she knew nothing about gayness, as the boy put it. So it always felt like she was weird or strange and couldn't identify what she was feeling at primary school. We failed her. I'd failed her. During lockdown and the dreaded remote learning, I planned work on the Black Lives Matters movement as it was current, relevant and followed up after a week on diversity and equality. The work produced over those two weeks in June was incredible. The boy mentioned earlier was finally able to celebrate his sister's sexuality as they all chose their own topics. He created an amazing movie all about the history of LGBTQIA+. And it was shared with all the parents in the class via our main parent school platform. It was well received and got many likes from the parents. Also in February, a girl in my class waited behind to tell me she had a Valentine's card. She added, from a girl. She had the happiest smile I'd ever seen. I spoke to her mum in that following week and she told me how important it is for her daughter to see me as a role model. She doesn't know if her daughter will grow up and continue having girlfriends, but it's so important that her daughter knows that it's okay. This is something both my children have been taught from the beginning. Love someone who loves you back, regardless of anything else. I cried on that journey home after I'd spoke to that parent. She made me feel like I'd helped her daughter feel open to loving whoever she wants to. She showed so much empathy and understanding so many others could try and learn from. I've never talked about my wife with the kids I teach. I've been asked who looks after the kids when I'm at work and I just gloss over it. Many of the kids know I'm gay, but I don't feel allowed to celebrate or even acknowledge my family in its entirety. My screensaver is of the kids, me and the kids, or the dogs. Never all of us. I should be able to lead these children into acceptance and help normalise my family setting to these children. So why don't I? I guess until our education system changes that we have to teach and normalise different families, I'll always fear that a parent or a governor will kick off. I'm 100% accepted as me by my colleagues and I think by the parents too. But when that imaginary line is crossed with the children, I worry that someone will have something negative to say. We need to do so much more at a primary level. Children are questioning things much earlier as diversity is much more visual now. I too didn't know that gayness existed as a pupil in primary school. And I hope that other kids out there struggling with their feelings have someone to look up to, to talk to, to listen to them, to support them, because parents aren't always the people you need them to be, unless they're mine, of course. Thanks for taking the time to read this ridiculously long email, Susie. It's not a letter. 
and I look forward to the podcast as they continue. All the best. Paula, thank you so much for writing in. I wish I had a teacher like you when I was at school. I would have loved to have someone in the classroom that had the kind of life that I that I wanted. I'm sure your visibility is appreciated so much more than you know. You'll only find out in years and years when when your students write to you as adults. Because I, I remember that there was definitely a gay teacher in my school. And although she wasn't out, I think just seeing her every day made me realise that being gay was normal. I'd love to get a hold of her, but I haven't been able to find her online or anything. But I think that, that lots of the pupils that you teach will have very similar feelings. I look back so fondly um, at her and um, always have really good memories of a school that I didn't really enjoy, but her being there certainly made it a lot better for me. Um, thank you so much for writing in. It was lovely to hear about you and your partner and your children and your life. And um, thank you for doing such incredible things with diversity and inclusion and equality at school. Yeah, it just sounds brilliant. I wish I went to a school that covered things like that. Okay, on to another one. Hi Susie, I wanted to write to you and say how much your podcast has meant to me and really educated me on the array of subjects I had little knowledge of. I've always identified as a straight woman. However, I've always found women attractive, but literally repressed this and never discussed it with anyone until now. I'm nearly 42 and I think it might be indicative of my generation, which also might explain why I didn't find this repression negative or strange. Recently, I've been undergoing some therapy and slowly finding my voice. I told my therapist yesterday that I actually find women attractive and possibly my next step is to explore this. Compared to many of your guests and listeners' experiences and journeys, it may seem like a tiny admission or step to take, but for me, it's huge. It directly relates to me accepting myself and being me from now on. Very corny, I know. Listening to your show and your gentle and kind way of speaking about the LGBTQIA plus community has helped me analyse myself in a compassionate way. It's also made me realise there are no strict boxes to put ourselves in and sexuality, like many other facets of life, is a journey with ebbs and flows and it's okay to explore that and accept yourself slowly. So thank you, Susie, for the varied experience you've explored in your show. I started as a curious straight ally and now I'm able to admit that I don't know what label box description fits me best and that's positive. I do, however, remain an ally and an avid listener. Best wishes, Claire. Claire, thank you so much. Um, for sharing that it's very uh, it's very interesting that your message came in this week because it's almost like today's episode is um, was all set up for you there was some weirdness in the universe that you sent this email the very same day that I was chatting to Jess about her having her awakening or realization um, when she was in her 30s so um, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode today thank you so very much for getting in touch Um, I hope that your journey continues to be um, exciting and interesting and fascinating and that it makes you happier and happier okay let's move on to today's show um i think jess is brilliant she's a really dear friend of mine you'll hear it from the podcast um, i hope you enjoy it here's a conversation with me and jessica fosterq today's guest is jessica fosterq now she is a critically acclaimed stand-up comedian writer and actor and you might have seen her on cuckoo motherland on qi dave gorman's terms and conditions harry hill's club night or live at the apollo she also hosts a brilliant podcast called hoovering which is all about food also you might have heard her on radio 4 or as co-host of the guilty feminist podcast her 2019 edinburgh show hench not only got nominated for best show 
at the whole of the fringe, but also won a series of excellent reviews. She's an absolutely brilliant stand-up, but don't just take my word for it. Praise for her most recent show included Fest saying it was a masterful set, absolutely flawless. The Scotsman saying it was a brilliant piece of storytelling and the skinny calling it an enthralling hour. She is bloody funny. That's the main thing. She's bloody funny. And I am also lucky enough to call her a bloody good friend. Welcome to the show, Jess. Oh my crumbs alive. That was, this is the nicest thing in a row that anyone has ever said about me. Oh, don't worry, later on I'm going to get really mean. So Thank uh, you. Could you to just redress the balance? Because I felt my, I could feel my head growing. Um, I have to say I love this podcast. Um, just to blow some smoke back up your bottom, please. And um, I have to say, like as much as I love the whole of the podcast, to listen to your introduction game, Susie Ruffle, it's strong. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a real Johnny Big Potatoes off the back of that. Well, you should feel like a Johnny Big Potatoes. You're doing very well. You're very busy. Oh, you are. <laughs> but there's going to be a lot of this in this podcast. Isn't there? Um, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Um, well, pretty up and down, but that's pretty standard sure. for me. Yeah, we've been we've been seeing each other pre-lockdown. We were seeing each other at the gym. Now we're seeing each other on Zoom classes because we go yeah. to the same gym. Yeah, and it's gone online, which is something else. So we can, I can just look into your house. Yeah, I've been there in real life. But you're, you're, are you feeling all right today? I'm feeling good today, actually, which is weird because um, uh, my girlfriend's very recently moved her cats in and because right. they're sort of getting used to living here. And, I, I, you know, I, I, was, I was ready for it. Cats are cats, but it's quite similar to kids um, <laughs> in the sense that, like, they just sort of get everyone up at five for a bit. Right. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure why I'm in such a nice mood, actually, because I'm, I'm running on very little sleep. Well, um, Jess, we're going to start in a slightly different place with your podcast, because why the bloody hell not? No one, can, yeah. no, one can, no one can tell me to do anything. I mean, they can if they ask me nicely, because I just like pleasing people. But <laughs> um, you've come out quite recently, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, and that's been so fascinating, and I think I've had a very, very positive experience. Because you've come out as a grown-up. Like, yeah. a, like, not like, like I was 21, but I wasn't a grown-up. Oh, really? That's funny. I like that. But I bet at the time you thought you were. It's oh, funny, isn't it? That? At the time, I thought I was probably the most grown-up person around. Yeah, I really hope that when I'm 50, I look back at, you know, 35-year-old me and go, oh, she was a baby. <laughs> um, I hope that we just keep doing that forever and ever until we're like... Yeah dead um it's it, funny isn't it like uh, uh, uh so I have had an experience which I have no idea is it's one of those situations I think a kind of come into queerness for me where I and it's one of the many reasons why I've listened to as many of, of this podcast as I can because I don't want to do that thing of assuming that my experience is in any way universal, um, or that I fully understand it yet because it's so new. So I, I have a, a sort of awareness that I might be making some rookie assumptions in my new queerness, if you know what I mean. So like... How so? Um, well, in, in the sense that, so I, for now, and I have really, I have obviously explored it with myself, I I believe I wasn't queer and something changed. Like, uh, and I think 
because of my experience, I believe it must be possible for people to fundamentally have something change in their sexuality. I think that I've always felt like I've been on a spectrum in terms of sexuality. Like I've never felt 100% straight, but I've never felt queer enough to lust after anyone's same sex or let alone to feel like edging on love ever. Um, But it's very hard to quantify. In the same sense, there's lots of... and, And I wonder whether that's like... Uh, that's the thing where I think, oh, I wonder whether in 10 years' time I'll look back and go, oh, you idiot, you were always so gay. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or, or because, it, because you know, I've never been, oh, I've never been like a girly girl ever. Like I was 100% uh, tomboy as a kid to the extent that at one point cut all my hair off underneath a table and asked everyone to call me Tom for a year, literally. Yeah. But... It's. I do feel like I had loads of opportunities since puberty. You know, nice opportunities to get off with women, to put it bluntly. Sure, sure, sure. Let's get fun. <laughs> you know, oh, and some sober ones, um, some, <laughs> some sensible ones, you know, um, and not millions of opportunities, but enough to know that I genuinely didn't, want to I don't think and I was about 32 I was nearing the end of a very very long relationship with a man oh that's the other thing to add to it is that I have had loads and loads and loads and loads of relationships um some of them incredibly head over heels in love some of them with people a few of them with with people who I was like, oh, this guy is the one, you know? And so, and and for that reason as well, and also I think just sort of an awareness of where I'm at right now, I don't think I'm 100% gay. Like, I think, I don't know, uh, we can get into labels and terminology later, but I probably, if forced to pick a label, go for pansexual, but I do not want to get in trouble with, I didn't realise how much politics there was around choosing that as an identity and have got in trouble for that on social media. How? Why? Um, because I, I uh, spoke about coming out on a Radio 4 show mm-hmm. and um, it was a comedy and I made a silly joke about... Uh, I basically was trying to introduce the word pansexual to a Radio 4 audience because I know I wouldn't bother using the word with my parents because what's the point, you know? They just wouldn't have heard it and I cannot... Uh, Already a few years into queerness cannot be asked for the amount of times you have to explain your queerness and announce it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every, probably at least a few times a day, you know, in a job mm-hmm. where you are meeting new people all the time. Um, but yeah, so I thought it would be fun to introduce pansexuality to a Radio 4 audience and sort of explain what it is. But in explaining what it is, I kind of, I, I made a silly Peter Pan joke and I made a silly joke about um, bisexuality makes it sound as if there's two genders which is some I made some silly joke like saying it makes it sound like there's only uh what's that girl band where the members are always changing and there's been a million sugar babes yeah it make it sound like there's only one sugar babes or whatever it was the it was that level it was I'm not proud of the joke standard 
in terms of quality <laughs> of joke. But it was basically, I tried to give people an idea of why pansexuality had evolved. In, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's essentially, in my mind, what I'd thought was just... Um, trans and non-binary allyism essentially and also a, a fundamental like I cannot I, I I the best way to describe my sexuality is I'm potentially liable to fancy literally fucking anyone <laughs> who's an adult like do you know what I mean so so I think that's it like I, there's no I don't have a boundary to anyone who I can fancy so so pan all describes that perfectly however I did all these jokes on the radio 4 program and I got a small but really, really, really angry and upset backlash from people from the bisexual community who felt erased by my comments. And and I and I I tried to engage with one of them and and explained that I I had should have been more careful in my language. I had no intention of and, and, and ironically, you know, depending on who I'm talking to, I will identify as bisexual if it's someone who I assume has never heard of pansexuality and I can't be asked to explain it that day. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So so yeah. I was like, oh God, I didn't realise there was a thing here. And so I did some research and I found that there are people who say, no, I'm bisexual because I do not fancy trans and non-binary people. And if lesbians should be allowed to fancy people who don't have penises, then I should be allowed to fancy only men and women. So I was like, oh God, this is a fucking minefield, to put it lightly. Right, yeah. And was like, okay, back away, back away. I then did the similar bit of material on um, a podcast that has stand up on it, but where I had a lot more freedom over the editing. And I wrote what I am still confident, it was for The Guilty Feminist, Mm-hmm. was a, a a completely inoffensive version of the same bit of stand-up at coming out as pansexual and then got another wave of of stuff of upset people and I thought oh actually just identifying as pansexual for some people it's going to make for some bisexual people is going to make them feel really furious and erased and oh, I don't understand that because you saying that you feel something doesn't erase anyone's experience oh, well uh, I mean that's that's such a true sentence that would, if understood, solve so many of the problems in terms of people's upset about the complexity of gender, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and I fully agree. And and, and also, like, I don't know. I, I, I suppose there are there will be bisexual people who have always wanted bisexuality to mean pansexuality. There's no need for the new word. Right. But unfortunately, all you need is one person of profile who's got you know it's one person who's written a blog that, that thousands of people read to say no no my bisexuality does mean only men and women to then go well maybe do I'm afraid you do need a, do, a new word then yes it, it doesn't mean you don't exist and it doesn't mean your word can't encapsulate the same definition but also it's no point getting upset about it one thing existing does not mean another thing no longer exists you know, but, I don't know, but also we've I've had conversations on this show with lesbians who don't really like the word lesbian, so go for right. gay or queer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love queer, and I do throw queer around most easily because I feel like it covers all bases, and also it's the one where I'm least likely to look back on it and go, "Oh, you idiot! You were so gay. <laughs> you were such. You were definitely a lesbian. You just weren't saying that yet. You didn't know that about yourself yet, or whatever." But I do think to come back to your original question, like something fundamental. For now, I think I, something clicked when I was 32 around that age and was it because you were like was there like a specific actress or was there someone I suppose I've mentioned on this podcast before that there was a particular moment in Titanic with Kate Winslet (laughs) you know really brought everything into focus for me and yes it was her boobs but (laughs) um yeah there was right okay um and you don't have to name that person don't worry no I won't I I um I had uh 
a run through for a job um, with someone and they were, well, they were like, I think they're someone who is quite flirty anyway. They're Mm -hmm. like mind blowingly gorgeous. Look like, she looks like Marilyn Monroe. Um, And that's as specific as I'm going to (laughs) get. And it was a really fun night and stuff. And like, I didn't really quite realize what was happening, but whenever she spoke to me, she touched my leg with her hand. And then later, we had a, everybody was having a drink afterwards. We got into a really deep conversation, and at one point, when she was talking to me, touched my face with her hand, and I didn't. I was thinking, okay, I'm right. that's okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then they said um, that they were going to come and see my tour show, where uh, where they live, where where my tour show was going to, and it's just like a t- absolutely tiny first tour where I had about ten dates and um, a little fifty seaters, and I was like, oh god, you know, that's embarrassing. You don't need to do that. And then she did. And it was then, this is like a week later that I was like, oh, I think, I I think this person is like, and it's always taken me a very, very long time to realize if someone's trying to get in my pants, it's forever has been, I've, I've basically needed someone to say, please may I have a go on you like that directly for me to get what's happening. And you know what? It's not a bad thing to ask like that. No, it's not. No, you've got consent. (laughs) I would recommend that to everyone actually. Oh God, I've never felt less grown up. Um, but this, I mean, and this person's got swagger, you know, like, and they turned up to this tour show on on their own. And then still, like, I wasn't, I was like, maybe, the, you know, maybe this, this really wants a new person really likes my work or really wants a new friend. And then it was just very, very flirty again. But I just couldn't quite, I couldn't fully compute what was going on or why I was even... Oh, it was my head was a mess about it. Absolutely nothing happened. Um, you know, I got my car, drove home. That was that. There was a few. It, there was like a future time where I was meant to see her again at like at some other event, and that got cancelled. I don't remember when in the timeline this was. Yeah, I mean, long story short, I spent a fortnight having utterly involuntary, disgusting <laughs> thoughts about her. <laughs> It wasn't emotional, Susie. It was okay. absolute. Like it was a shame I had anything else to do that week. That fortnight, <laughs> like it was, it was, it was like a massive, filthy crush. Like it wasn't a love Nothing thing. It was. I. I. Yeah. It was like mental, and I was like, oh god. And do you know what? Like I'm a. I'm a pretty open book. So I had conversations with close friends about this at the time, like a select few, but I was like, oh, God. I mean, I feel like we've discussed this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> can you hear one of my... Is that one of your new cats? One of my cats is kicking off. I wonder what's gone on. Do you think they want to come in here? I don't know if it'll make them quieter or louder to come in here. Um, I think I mean, it's probably them if asking... If you're wondering whether you're a it? lesbian, if there's two cats meowing in yeah. the background of your podcast, you definitely are. Yeah, that's just tipped me further up the spectrum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... There's I, a lesbian listening going, I hate cats, sorry, sorry. I know, I know. I know. I know. Just, a very cheap joke. A hashtag not all lesbians. No. Jess, it's quite interesting. She was just saying about sort of having uh, this weekend of of dirty thoughts and yeah. then oh week, no fortnight of dirty fortnight, thoughts. Fortnight, yeah. And then exhausting. Um, yeah, and then you said as you were talking about it, 
you said, I've never felt less grown up. And oh, I was really? just wondering if whether this all happened. Did you feel like a teenager again? I felt like a teenager again. And do you know the other thing that says so there's a cat that really desperately wants to get in here and I'm just going to let it hang on? Yeah, fine, 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 fine. Come on in, mate. No, lonely Conrad. You can come in, but you mustn't be loud. <laughs> Is he in? She's in. She's in. Good. He, he. Is it you absolute prick? He's only going to leave again. I think he was looking for Steph. He was absolutely was looking for you there, Steph. Yeah, he's crying and scratching at the door. And then he's walked in. I've let him in. And then he's just gone back out again to look for you. These cats don't love me as much as they love her. I'm going to write some stand-up about it, Susie. Well, they've had, she's had, they are her cats. That's probably why. I know, but I, he's come back. He's just jumped back in. He is absolutely taking the piss. Comrade, I, I mean, it's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm sorry, sis. Sorry. No, you're fine, mate. You're fine. Um, I did feel like a teenager again. One of the elements of that was... Uh, there were two things. One thing that was happening was I had... Like, I think for me, having a baby kind of um, didn't kill, but really changed my interest in sex down to zero and then up to like crumbs of what used to be, essentially. And this felt like a coming back to life or even potentially a rebirth of that like it was like there was from nothing to like whoa um and also the other sense in which I worried that it felt adolescent was that this person that this crush was on isn't like a nice not like they're not like a horrible person at all but they they're kind of part of their brand is that they're like a bit of a fuck boy and they don't actually care about anyone. And they're like a player, basically. Um, and I was like, oh, my God. Not only have I, like, discovered or found or... Um, awakened? Awakened, yeah, or grown from scratch, this queerness. But do I have to go back to square fucking one to when I was 14 where I only fancy, like, miserable, arrogant artists or people are going to treat me like shit or just big heads? Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, no. It's taken me 30-something years to realise I deserve kindness and love and to be with people who are good to me do I have to go back to square one and fancy the people who are gonna like mess me around again um so yeah it felt adolescent in those ways and so did you I know that you said earlier like when you were growing up you sort of were aware that there was like that you were on a spectrum somewhere yeah when we had a conversation and you were like I'm having these feelings Mm. I was like yeah no shit like it didn't it, it, well, it didn't a really interesting thing happened there like such an interesting thing happened which is that when I did start coming out my queer friends were all all of them were like yeah no shit Sherlock well I remember Brista being like spoken to spoken to Jess lately I was like oh yeah don't worry about that mate I've spoken to Jess <laughs> but get this all of my straight friends, all of them, universally said, are you sure? Because I mean, one of them even went, how could you possibly know? But, but, but all of them said, are you sure? Because they were all concerned, or their theory was, 
that it was a symptom of how unhappy I was in my straight relationship or my relationship. And the thing is that those things did happen at the same time and I don't think they're connected. I don't believe they mm-hmm. are connected. That that relationship got to the point where I needed to end it simultaneously when I realised or realised or became ultra queer. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, that one, I think, because I do believe my relationship was over independently of the gayness. Mm. So I had this incredibly joyous thing, which it was for me. And I feel the thing about coming out older is there's an enormous amount of privilege in it. I really, really understand my privilege compared to people who who realise or have their queerness from birth or childhood or teenagers or whenever younger, because I think the younger you are, the more your self-worth depends on the respect of the people who love you. Um, Whereas by the time you're in your mid-30s, hopefully, for me at least, like I had such a much clearer idea of who I was that it just felt like it was uh, unquestionable. Like I was like, I think, you know, there's no one who I mind telling about this, you know. I mean, I don't want to upset her, but my mum's, you know, there's elements of when, well, I wonder when we'll think about when when and who should tell this person in the family and stuff like that. And I was like, I couldn't give a fuck. Like, I'd tell anyone. Like, I didn't give a shit. I had one, like, I can imagine this stuff would be devastating if I was a teenager, for example. I had, like, an uncle who apparently said, bloody hell, we've already got one of those in the family. And I was like, you know, I can imagine being fuming or very sad if I was younger. But I was like, oh, shut your face. Give a shit. One of them. It's not It's not stickers in a collection book, you tool bag. Like, also, you can on. laugh at... Another adult? Yeah, totally, totally. totally. If you're a teenager. Yeah, totally. And also privileged in the sense that it's so much harder to do that as a teenager. Yeah, you have status. You have more status in the world once you're in your mid-30s. I mean, I find the whole process fascinating. And the other massive wave of privilege I'm very aware of is when in history and where in the world I got Mm -hmm. to do my coming out. Yeah, of course. So... I feel ultimately like very, very lucky. But with that, with this huge kind of massive shift, kind of rebirth as this kind of new person, ultimately, and the joy of that, the freedom of that, the adrenaline of that did also come, um, oh, and I still feel emotional about it, but the sadness, the sadness of knowing I had to end the relationship with with my mm-hmm. kid's dad. Yeah. And... Did you feel like once you'd had that awakening, it was like, because I think some people might be listening that aren't out or have decided to never come out. Yeah. Do you, was there a part of you that thought, I'm just going to put this in a box or could you have done that? Or as soon as you had that, oh my God, this thing's been, I, I, this thing's been, it is inside of me. I didn't know it was there or it's just appeared. It took I'm going to have to do something about that. Right. So um, from that first, like, little crush, uh, and it was like a fortnight and it was done. You know, it wasn't <laughs> deep. But I, from that, I started having conversations with myself, with my shrink, actually, who's been incredible with everything forever, um, and with my closest mates, not with my family, um, but about... And my conversation was, all I, because all I knew about myself at that point was, I was like, oh, 
you know, you're not straight. You're definitely not straight. You're definitely fancy women. So you're definitely bisexual, pansexual, whatever. Um, that's curious. That's an interesting thing to know about yourself. I even had that conversation with my male partner and he was like, yeah, I think everybody's on a spectrum, blah, blah, blah. We had an open, lovely conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Over the following two years, that curiosity turned into a fascination, an awareness of increasing number of women that I, nothing happened. Um, nothing got anywhere near happening, but it was in my mind and in my heart. And it just grew to the point where the curiosity became like the, the idea of never getting to explore that became like a burning physical pain, like a constant one that like was like, oh, I, I cannot, I cannot simultaneously stay in a relationship this finished whilst also not listening to my heart and body and mind about this other thing. Like the thought of those things combined was breaking me. Like it didn't, it got to the point, it, at first it felt like I can never do anything about this and that's fine. And then it felt like I can never do anything about this because I do not know how. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know practically how to do this. And a lot of it was tied up in, I don't know practically how to leave this relationship. I don't know how to do a breakup like that well. I don't know how co-parenting would work. I don't know how I would ever be able to afford financially to do this. I don't know, you know, a lot of it was because it's how I work, I think, got tangled up in practical obstacles. Mm-hmm. And then... And was there a sadness in that? Oh, so much, so, so much crying. Because actually it's frustration. And frustration is heartbreaking, isn't it? It was heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And then, oh God, I didn't expect to get this emotional, Susie. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It's good. But I, um, yeah, I don't know. And then it got to the point, it felt like this insurmountable wall. It felt like something I, I just didn't know how to do. I knew I wanted to, but I was like, you're never going to be able to do that. And then it just suddenly, something clicked. And then it happened very quickly after that. Something clicked. It's all so recent in like, something clicked like about a month before I broke up with my partner. Something, uh, I'll tell you what happened. Um, I had told about six months before this, I had had a, like a big weeping conversation with my ex and said I think I'm unhappy to the point where it's not fixable in this relationship and he had said please will you just try living somewhere bigger and for context um we lived in an absolutely tiny flat and we had done for years like a glorified one bed flat with an increasingly massive child and he has an exceptional amount of stuff it's a hoarder but um so so he said this is I think this is you if you have literal space this might be okay and for this you know I was like I'll try it I would absolutely want to try anything so we had gone and looked at you know proper big houses to move to and um we found somewhere we both really liked um and I think it was in March last year it was the day we signed the contract on the house a two-year contract, <laughs> weirdly, sure. double, double the usual length, um, that I privately had an absolute breakdown and something that felt absolutely impossible to do. 
um, suddenly became fucking urgent and I had to do it soon. But well, like I did an enormous amount of work with my therapist about how to do a breakup as well as it's possible to do a breakup. And yeah, yeah, and the rest is history. I think it's important for you to know, Jess, and I've said this to you before, I think you and your, I won't name him, I think you and your child's dad, you co-parent incredibly well. Thanks, mate. You really make it work, and it's obvious. Well, that's a testament to him, though, ultimately, because Mm. as much as there was nothing for him him to argue with, um, and I've never been anything other than clear... And, and as kind and generous as possible, ultimately, I, I I absolutely broke his heart, but he has been so classy and is such an extraordinary dad that um, I think we do make a really good team and hopefully all of this has had a minimal impact on our kid, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's move on a little bit from that moment when you signed the contract and then when you thought, actually, no, I can this wall can come down. Yeah. We can find a way through this. We can find a way to co-parent. Then you were sort of Jess out in the world being a bit queer. Yeah. And was that like, like, because obviously you had this like massive build up to it in a way that's sort of similar to someone who are in, who's in their adolescence that are like, oh, I know this about myself, but I'm not going to deal with it. Totally or certainly major. for me. You know, yeah. that's what it was like for me. I'd sort of known for a very long time before I ever went on a date with a girl or kissed a girl. So was that like unbelievable relief? Was that really exciting? Yeah, really exciting and scary, but mainly exciting. And like I had an absolutely, I don't think it's particularly adolescent, like because also women are in their sexual peak in their 30s. Like I basically. Oh, sorry. I hope you don't think that that, don't that is an offence of me no, saying. not offensive at all. I mean, you're spot on, but I, I had very basic aims. Like ultimately <laughs> I had really blue balls. Like I really, 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 my only aim was to experience absolutely loads of queer sex, please, over the next however long and mm-hmm. then um you know I joined an app and went about that <laughs> yeah good for you good for me and and then fell in love yeah <laughs> quicker than planned I was only looking for a fun I bloody fell right in love right in love hard 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 in love <laughs> and it's great yeah so do you feel like a sense of freedom now that you, like, I know that you say that you didn't, it wasn't like, it didn't feel like you missed anything in your twenties. Cause it's like, you weren't really looking for it, but yeah. Are you changed? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of things happened at once. And I think that the, I feel like I had, I don't know how to describe it other than like a coming of age, just a random midlife coming of age or some kind of rebirth. I'm fundamentally feel changed. I feel like it, it's just taken me this long to 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 do a contradictory thing, to sort of realise who I am, but only through finding peace with realising I'm somebody who changes. Mm. If that makes sense, I mean, I think that maybe yeah. sounds a bit boggling, but I was like, oh, no. I've... But tell me more about how you, what you mean. Well, I suppose like uh, I mean, it's I know this is not comedians talking about comedy, but no, no, no. But that's fine. We're allowed to talk about whatever we want. Yeah, you, you know when people go, oh, they found their voice or whatever. Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like that 
that happened at the same time as all of this for me with my work. But I, I think what had been one of the things holding me back from doing that with my work was the idea that there was just one voice to find. And actually, I think what happened with that was that I, where my comedy got to in terms of style and um, tone and content just sort of landed on a zeitgeist, if you know what I mean. Like it was just fell in line with what the industry and the world were doing in a certain little bunch of years, like a sort of coming together of lots of things. And I feel like that it's no coincidence that that happened at the same time as this huge out with the old, in with the new thing in terms of my sexuality and my whole living situation, my whole life. Oh, I think it's interesting that you bring up stand up because I was going to ask you about this because I've got this written down because I, you know, I've, we've known each other for probably 10 years. Yeah. Something like that. I, I remember coming to see one of your shows, Silence of the Nans, a few years ago. It was really, really funny and I loved it. But there was something about when you were doing your most recent show after you'd had this sort of period of mm. recalibration, for want of a better word, in your whole life. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, being a stand-up and the kind of comedy you do is kind of similar to the comedy I do in that we we're kind of talking about ourselves looking inward rather than you know we're we're storytellers really yeah and there was this I came to see your show I think on the first day of Edinburgh yeah you pop it last year and there was like this assuredness Mm. that was running from your feet being really grounded right up to the tips of your fingers that you were just I'm here and I need, and I and I know I can be here, and I know that I've got something to say. Yeah, and I'm that's kind. I'm confident and ready to say it. And it's interesting, isn't it, how that ended up being like a, you know, that show sort of was a massive sort of boost for your whole career. Yeah, you know, got got people talking about, you know, doing different things, doing different TV shows, writing things like. It felt like, you know, it's interesting that that... It's not a coincidence. It's 100% not a coincidence. There was a feeling of like, you know, not emotionally uncomplicated, but there's a feeling of being unchained. Like those Mm -hmm. two years that it took me were hard. Like that's a hard, that's a very hard time to live through, to do exist Mm -hmm. in emotionally. And it felt like exhilarating and freedom it did mm-hmm. absolutely feel like that yeah whilst also being you know still sensitive a scent a very fragile and sensitive as well yeah in a way the sort of strongest and weakest I've ever felt it's m- mad really but thrilling yeah. it's th- it was thrilling and it was so it was definitive there wasn't any I think good thing about having those two years for reflection and for to just have really analysed everything possible to analyse. Not, I don't know. Like, I felt like by the time I did come out of the relationship and come out, there was not a doubt in my mind that I fancied women. Like, it wasn't like there was any question mark still. It was just, and now here I've got, I am so lucky I get to live this life now, this new life. It, it felt extraordinary. And how was the the coming out to people that had always i suppose you you sort of mentioned before that your queer friends were like uh-huh <laughs> yeah 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 cool yeah uh-huh um and maybe straight friends were 
Was there any surprise in like your family or I know that, that uncle said the thing? Yeah. But really mixed bag. Um right. I think met with um with the majority of the majority of people in my world of straight people. And I think I was met universally with kindness. Mm-hmm. Um occasionally with some suspicion, I would say, or skepticism, or right. slight madly slight disbelief. Um but not not everywhere, just little hints of that here and there. Um, uh, but mainly, you know, mainly I think people fundamentally, my closest people fundamentally saw this very, I don't know if they'd have tagged me as sad, but stressed, maybe. Mm-hmm. This slightly overwhelmed friend or family member of theirs, they suddenly were like, whoa, look how happy she is. Yeah. I've never seen you so happy. And um, that's all that matters to most people that really love you. I mean, the com- the actual conversations themselves were comical. I don't have, like, <laughs> I don't have um, parents, for example, who will have ever even, like, even listened to a podcast or never probably even watched a telepromme about how you do or don't you know talk to a kid as they're coming out even when they're an adult like I both of the conversations were comical um because my therapist had said to me it got to the point with my mum I'm very close with both my parents but they're very different types of relationships um it got to the point with my mum where um I said I, I started to feel like a fraud um they knew I'd broken up with my ex um, but I said to my therapist I start to feel like a fraud not coming out to my mum because she's one of my best friends and mm. I feel there's this enormous truth about me that I'm not telling her but I just don't know how to practically do it and my therapist was amazing and said that do don't need to build stress about it because of the nature of my relationship with my mum she was like there's no point trying to structure the conversation like you won't be able to script this or um Anyway, she just said, you've got to take the first opportunity that feels possible. Right. And that came up really quick. I think she'd made that feel so doable mm-hmm. by using that language. But um, that opportunity came up really quick. And my mum was up where I live in London visiting and we'd gone for lunch. And she asked me a question. She said, almost the perfect question. She said, in the last few years, has there been anyone who you thought were I single, stuff might have happened or something like that, you know, in her words, paraphrasing. And I was like, yeah, they have actually, loads. <laughs> but, um, I've got something to tell you, Mum, because they've, they've, they've pretty much all been women. And she was like, oh, oh, right. Oh, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then it was just really funny. She just sort of started eating really quickly, which is really out of character. Um, but she was saying adorable things mixed in with, imperfect things like lots of just listed listed every queer woman she's ever known talked about <laughs> lots of women she's known her age who've left long awful marriages and and now with women just listing women's names i've never heard <laughs> of that she's worked with everyone gay she's ever worked with um everyone who's got a gay daughter um and then at one point in the middle of the rambling said thank god i've got my grandson and then just carried on listing gay women that she knows um and then I did say like I think I could still have more 
kids, you know, don't rule that out, you know. And she was like, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm so fine with it. I don't even know. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. So, because I'm so fine with it. Um, and so for context, my sister is my half sister who's 21 and is 22 now, Christ, is um, queer as well. And uh, she is known since really young. And um, I think that's the context for it, but it really made me laugh. As we left the lunch and we were crossing the road, it's like a big, busy road where you've got to stop halfway across on an island. And halfway across on the, on an, on the island, my mum turned to me and very seriously said, just so you know, I've never fancied another woman in my life. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, I was going to try and get off of you. Christ, fucking hell. Like, but it was, I think what she meant was, you haven't both inherited this from me. And I think it was that. Um, but equally, I'm sorry, my mum is, she likes a drink and she's worked as a nurse for most of her life. She absolutely has fancied a woman in her life, come on. Um, no, I don't know. But one really funny thing that happened off the back of that is that um, one of my friends now refers to my mum as straight Nikki, straight, straight Nikki, which I think is oh, absolutely yeah, that's perfect. Funny. Whereas my dad was like, the story of telling my dad might make people hate my dad. Like my dad is a naughty he says the wrong thing just to get a rise. Like, he isn't anything ist or phobic, but his language is. And he knows it is. And he does it just to, just to make me behave in a way which he describes as so London. Like, right. he will, he'll fat shame a kid to get me pissed off. He'll do that, like, to just, like, he, he loves pushing... Because I'll laugh, he's very funny, and I will laugh. He's like a, he's like a real-life WhatsApp group. He's like that. <laughs> <laughs> he will, he'll yeah, say, okay, I that. He'll say something like on the edge, just about allowed to be funny, and he'll laugh and I'll laugh, and then he'll push it over the edge every time, and I'll be like, whoa, 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 and he'll be like, oh, you're so London. So um, yeah, telling him was more of a minefield. The short of it is with him is that he reacted ultimately by laughing, laughing and laughing, laughing, <laughs> and um, and just like. Yeah, really like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> oh, it's very London of you, isn't yeah, it? It is so London of me, actually. Yeah, there's absolutely no gays in the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jess, thank you for that. Now, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask, and you know this because you've listened to the show, that I ask absolutely everyone. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so aware of someone that's known you, you know, before and after coming out or having that sort of realization or that awakening in yourself and I mean it is so true that you're so much happier and yeah. so much brighter and it's like the lights have been switched on yeah. and you're like yeah there's just sort of a joy around you and you're obviously now in such a loving warm relationship and it's wonderful and the co-parenting works and you've got a happy little boy but if you had to go back to that point that you were in where it did feel impossible mm. and uh, you said there was, there was so much crying and heartbreak. I don't want to make you cry. Uh, <laughs> but if there's people like listening to that now who are in a similar position, or if you could pick up a phone or send a WhatsApp message to that version of you then, and you could give them a bit of advice or give them a bit of a hug, what would you say? Um, um, I think I would say, don't know how I would articulate it. I want to say, like, ride it out. Just wait. I don't mean do nothing, but it's possible because it's what happened to me. The time will come where you 
you just have to act. You have to act on how you feel. So let it grow, let it build, don't crush it down. But if if you need to be like overwhelmed by it to be compelled to act, then just let it grow. Let what you know there's a seed of there become the whole plant, <laughs> tree, whatever, forest. Just let it grow. Don't try and crush it away. Don't ignore it. I mean, crack on with your life. I mean, don't just sit there watching it. But like, you know what I mean? Genuinely, if it's what's meant to happen, there is no harm in it to anyone. Even if you have kids, your kids need you to be happy. That's all they need. They need you to be happy so that you can love them all up. I think that's the other thing that I, it's such a practical thing, but that I took, I also had as an experience to be able to know that my parents should never really have been married and they stayed together. I lived in a house with parents who had separate beds as long back as I can remember. They were both in secret other relationships and they were, I lived in a house where I was loved, but it was a house of sadness and lies when I was growing up and I didn't want that for my kid. Kids, kids need their parents to be happy fundamentally. It's not as selfish as you think it is to be happy. I think that's a perfect place to end the uh, to end the conversation. Thank you, Jess. I love you. I love you too. Thank you for having me. I love this podcast. Um, that was great. I loved that conversation. I think Jess is so brilliant. Please look her up on all the social medias. When we're all back out in the real world, go and see her on tour. She's brilliant. Um, listen to her podcast, Hoovering. Thank you for listening. As ever, if you want to get in touch, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. You're very welcome to get in touch with thoughts, feelings, suggestions of guests. There's lots of people that have suggested guests. I want you all to know that I've reached out to all of the people that you've asked me to do. Um, waiting to hear back from some of them. Maybe never will with some, maybe will. Who knows? Some people are already in the diary. But lots more episodes coming up before the end of the year. I hope that you have a great week. And I'll chat to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.